Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 680 with Aaron Chamberlain. Us winning the day is showing up on time, everyone being here, um, getting the product on time, us cooking, get you know customers coming, delivering hot food hot, cold food cold, making delicious delicious food, taking you know making people happy. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Were you aware that 89% of guests will research a restaurant online before dining out? This is why it is so important for you to be mindful of what your online presence is. Visit getbento.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your Bento Box website today. Bento Box empowers restaurants to own their presence, profits, and relationships online. One more time, that is getbento.com slash unstoppable. For years, restaurant owners have been pleading for more integration in their restaurants, and they finally got it. Restaurant 365 is a cloud-based, all-in-one, restaurant-specific accounting and back-office platform that seamlessly integrates with POS systems, payroll providers, and food and beverage vendors. Head over to restaurant365.com slash unstoppable and qualify for 30% off implementation and a free inventory build in Restaurant 365 a value of $5,000. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Aaron Chamberlain. My man, Aaron, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am. Pumped <laughs> to be here. Yes, and I cannot wait to dive into your story. It looks like a good one. So, Chef Aaron Chamberlain, uh, your, your family basically has been in this industry since 1930, right? And yeah. it was your grandfather who really inspired you and motivated you to get into this industry. Um, it was a Chef Whites that really did the trick, from what I understand in the story. And then at the age of 19, you took off. You've been traveling around the nation. You've been in New York City, Boston, L.A., uh, not to mention Phoenix, San Francisco. Did I miss any big stops along the way? Mexico. I Mexico. spent time in Mexico. You came back to Phoenix in the early 2000s, and you uh, went to work with La Grande Orange. I'm, I'm not saying that right. Say it for me. La Grande Orange. Thank you. <laughs> El Geo Hospital. I was close. <laughs> and then uh, in 2010, you opened St. Francis. Uh, you've also gone on to open uh, Phoenix Public Market since then, and a handful of other restaurants you've since divided from, but I'm sure that'll come out in the story. I cannot wait to dive out, dive into how you got to where you are today, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with the success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? Uh, my success quote is win the fucking day. Win the fucking day. Yeah. Dive into that and how does that resonate with you? You know, in the restaurant business, we do the same shit every fucking day. Mm -hmm. And so I talk to my staff a lot about, you know, all we want to do today is win the day. Mm. So that starts from the minute we get here to the minute we shut the doors and we do a very repetitive service we do a very repetitive so it keeps it simple for them so when we get off track I can ask them are we winning the fucking day yeah what so, does winning the fucking day look like I'm curious taking happy customers yeah you know, happy customers, happy employees. Um, you happy know. checklists. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's you know, like I said, it's very repetitive. Yep. So, you know, um, us winning the day is showing up on time, everyone being here, um, getting the product on time, us cooking, get, you know, customers coming, delivering hot food hot, cold food cold, making delicious, delicious food, awesome. taking, you know, making people happy. Great way to get this thing started. So where does it make sense to start sharing your story? When did you know that this was going to be your path? 
You know, I pretty much knew right away. I mean, to be honest with you, always I always loved food. Um, my grandfather was a chef. Um, my mother was a good cook. Food was a big part of our life. Um, and so I knew at a young age I was interested in food. And then um, there was a fo- photograph of my grandfather in my kitchen at our home because he had passed okay. um, at this point. And, um, and, you know, it just resonated. He looked really proud. He had a, a brigade, kitchen brigade. Um, and he was in the military and it just, you know, I just, it resonated with me. I knew that I wanted to do something with food and then I got into Boy Scouts. I started doing outdoor cookery and that like lit me up, got me super excited because I'd love to go camping and cooking on the open fire. And so, you know, and then, um, in junior high, I met a cheerleader, had her come over to my house for lunch. She invited the whole cheerleading team. And really at that moment when I had, I think 17 cheerleaders at my house and I was making fettuccine 13 Alfredo. years old, 17 cheerleaders yeah. at your house. Life I, is good. <laughs> I knew, I knew that, that I could influence people through food. Mm. And then at the same time I was already working in the, I worked, I got my first restaurant job at the age 14. And um, when I left that job, I walked down the road and got another job in like 30 minutes. Okay. And I was like, wow, that like I could, I could, tr- I could move wherever. Like every, this is a job that I could go That's anywhere. That's a huge lesson that I don't think most people realize when they get into this industry that when you, if you develop skills in the kitchen, it's literally a ticket to any place anywhere, in the world you want to go. And it's so important to get that experience and to not, I mean, it's good to give at least a year minimum to like one location that they're going to train you. They're going to give you something. You want to spend some time there so they can get that return. Right. Yeah. But get it, get out there and get experience and just go and, and find out what it is that truly lights you up in this industry. Right. I don't think we can do that enough. Do you? No, no. So when that happened, then I worked here in the Valley. So I was from here from the Phoenix area. Gotcha. And then I made a pact to myself. I made a goal. I was going to move to every major city and work in the best restaurant. That was my only goal. So I wanted to go to New York City. But I the the road didn't take me there. You're and I, 19 years old at this point, right? Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, 19. Yeah, 19. so we don't, you know, that's a long ways to go. Phoenix, Arizona, it's a New York City at 19 years old. Well, actually, at the age of 17, I moved to Maryland, oh, to wow. Ocean City, Maryland. Okay, and so I had some exposure. I left home at 17. Um, once again, I was already making money. Were you on your own at 17 years old? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I was. The, I was, in high school. I lived with. I had a roommate. I mean, I was already out of the house. Wow. So, once again, I had seven brothers and sisters. I mean, it got to a certain point. My parents are like, you know, it's time for you to go. So, were you on the, the oldest? No, I'm in the middle. Okay. So, I have little sisters. And gotcha. so, um, I'd, tr- I'd already moved around a little bit. And so, then, um, what, what, what I, I, I couldn't get to New York City because of how much money it was going to cost. Okay. So, I, I had an inn in San Francisco. So um, I moved to San Francisco. I was 19 years old. My whole goal was to go to the culinary school there and work at the best restaurants. Um, and luckily, I walked in a restaurant that was called the Abiquiu. It was run by a chef named John Sedler. Okay. Who was the godfather of Southwest cuisine. Okay. They gave me a job because I came from Arizona. And for some reason, they thought I knew something about Southwestern cuisine. Okay. And um, so they gave me a job there, and, and 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 so from there he was from he lived in L.A. John Sedler he had multiple businesses. He used to own a restaurant in L.A. called Bikini, and he was a very he was a pretty influential chef, a celebrity chef back in the day. And this was in '94, '92, okay. something like that. 
So I worked with him, and then he, and then I really wanted to learn about the French. That I got hung up on the French. Did you ever end up going to culinary school, or did that? Not no, happen? I. So I, I, I. So I was. I was working towards going to culinary school, but I had my parents gave me nothing. Yeah. So I had to do everything myself, and. Um, so I, you know, spent a year applying, trying to get loans, all this stuff. And, um, and then in that time frame, I, I was in San Francisco working for John Sedler and then he introduced me to Michelle Richard. Okay. So Michelle Richard and John Sedler. Where is she located? Um, him. He, Michelle, he, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Michelle, Michelle Richard. Um, he was, his home base was called Citrus and it was in Los Angeles. Okay. And the nineties he owned, he was a. He owned about 17 restaurants. Wow. Yeah. I don't want to take you off track from talking about John Sedler, though. I was just curious yeah. for later. <laughs> no, so so he introduced me to Michelle Richard. Michelle Richard at the time was, like, one of the most famous chefs. He had a cookbook out. And Michelle Richard got a deal in San Francisco and the Hotel Milano to open the Bistro M, which was a version of the Citrus in L.A. Okay. So I wanted to work there. So I asked um, John Sether to get me a job. He called Michelle. Nice. How and, long were you with uh, John before he... Well, ironically, John lost his contract with the hotel oh. that I was working in. Okay. So he came to me and said, the restaurant's closing. Okay. <laughs> and I'm going to help you. And nice. so where do you want to go? So how long were you there working with him, for him? Um, probably just under a year. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, the reason why I ask is I think that, you know... I think the year is probably the standard within the industry that if you go, if you, if you take a job to go learn something, right? Yeah. And they're giving you skills or investing their time in you and their knowledge in you and bringing you up that level. Give them at least, it's going to take you at least 100%. three months, right? At least yeah. three months to get to the point where you're of value that you're not effing up all the time, right? Yeah. So like give them additional, uh, you know, what would that five or sorry, three, uh, nine more months, right? What's nine more months? Give them that time. Um, and then they'll take care of you. And that seems like, he took care of you. You must have. You must have been doing something right if he was willing to kind of set you up with the next job. I mean, he probably felt bad that you, you were losing a job, but well, take it from there. You know, um, um, he did, and you know, I, I, I was at, at pretty much from about age seventeen until I was about. I mean, I don't know if it's even stopped. Like, I just was a workhorse. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I was just one of those guys that was always there on my day off. I would be there. I would always be interested. I was always, you know, I didn't have a life at that time. I didn't. You know, I was I was trying to learn my craft. Mm-hmm. So all my energy, all my thoughts. I mean, when I got home from work, I read cookbooks. Nice. Um, you know, and and so that was I was just into it. So he he saw that he saw something in me, and so he helped me get a job with Michelle Richard. So um, I ended up um, leaving uh, Abiquiu. Abiquiu closed shortly after. Um, and John Sedler and I actually I saw him last year because he has a new restaurant in New Mexico. Okay. So we kept in touch. Um, and then I went to work for Michelle Richard. I was at, I was still 19 years old, and um, it was like mind. I mean, like I, I like opened my eyes in a way that I've never seen. I was like just mind boggled because the kitchen at the Beast Ram. I think that the kitchen alone was about three million dollars. Wow! So um, it's going back in the 90s. Yeah, and it was state of the art French Island Kitchen, the Full Brigade, you know, Saucier, all these different roles, and it was all new to me. And, you know, and Michelle, because at the time he was one of the biggest talents, he was just shipping um, talent French chefs from France. Okay. So, like, our chef de cuisines and sous chefs, they were all fresh from France. So, it was just a huge, like, I just fell in love. I was just like, um, you know, this is amazing. What was it that was so, you know, just 
over the top about this restaurant that wasn't happening at previous experiences. You, just, you, you kind know, of laid it out a little bit for I, us already. I'll tell you right now, like in my station, there was a piece of artwork okay. on the wall. You know, I mean, what restaurant do you work in? The in the kitchen? In the kitchen. Okay. So the kitchen was a, a, an exposed kitchen. Okay. That you makes know, sense. you could walk through it. I mean, there was artwork in our kitchen. There was, it was, you know, the talent level was so high. And, um, you know, and it was clean and it was organized and they had all the bells and whistles and they had, you know, everything back in that day that created high end cuisine they had. And so every time I just saw things I'd never seen before, that was, you know, just just really it captured me. So, I mean, at this point, you had you've been working in the industry, but 19 years old. About a year in like serious restaurants, right? Um, well, I so I started working when I was fourteen. Okay, so um, you know, um, yeah, you had like I'm, six years of experience in the industry. But I mean, these these restaurants that you're sharing with us, these are like top of the top, 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 top. top. I and mean, like you're nineteen, twenty years old, young, still kind of green. A lot of the people that are working in these restaurants come from you know culinary schools. I'm assuming, or some type of. I mean, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, what is it that you think you can do? What can we replicate that you that you are doing to get yourself in this position to be shoulder to shoulder with these chefs that I feel like maybe probably took a more traditional route to get there? Yeah. So I'm a super persistent guy. Okay. Um, and so like Michelle Richard, when John Tedler called him, um, he said send him down, um, send him down, and he'd fill an application. So I actually went and bought his cookbook, and I sat at the bar, and I actually waited for six hours. Wow! Um, for him to come out, and like um, you know, I I just was I just was very persistent, and I just knew that that's what it took. Um, even my first job, and one of my first jobs in Arizona, um, I literally just started banging on kitchen doors, nice. and the not back, the front door, but not the, back the front door. door, the back door. Nice. Started banging on them, and started being like, "Hey, I need a job. I need a job." So I was super persistent. I knew what I wanted to do. Yeah. So I wasn't flaky, flighty. I was super crystal clear. Like, I want to be here. I want to work. I'm going to give you my all. I didn't even care how much they were going to pay me. I didn't how care about that. How are you selecting these restaurants? Well, ironically, I got lucky with John Sadler. So I was just applying randomly. Okay. I mean, I was applying to bar and grills, at, in, you know, in hotels. And when I first moved to San Francisco, I literally showed up and I just started walking around and seeing restaurants and applying. But I had a little experience. Um, and I got really lucky and I came in and John Tether was a celebrity chef and he opened my eyes. In fact, he took me to LA one time and, you know, he kind of taught me about this world of celebrity chefs and multi restaurants and four star dining. And I, I mean, I knew some of this because so like, this, this first year he was taking you around traveling yeah, with you. Wow, that's yeah, pretty yeah, cool. Yeah. But like, once again, I, I mean, like one thing I've always been good at is finding out who has the juice and then just sticking on that. Who has the juice? Yeah. Like, what's the juice? Like, who, ha- who, 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 who can I learn from? Mm. You know, I'm not going to waste my time with some guy who's the sous chef, who's a little punk and that wants to treat me. Like, I want to go right to the chef. I want to get in with him. I want to spend time with him. I want to be able to become his right-hand man. And I know that if I do the right things, he'll give me the best information. I'll be able to climb the ladder faster. So what, you, what other things are you doing to set yourself up to get these people to want to invest their time and knowledge in you. Um, is it just ethics? Is it just busting your ass and just showing them that you want it? So, so Michel Richard, I worked for him. He had multiple restaurants, so yep. he was in and out, and he had a, he had a chef de cuisine there. His name was Alain Relsberger. He's in Palm Springs right now. We still keep in contact. Um, and um, I go to them and I tell them I got into culinary school. Nice. Um, I finally got in. I got my loans accepted. I'm going to start school. 
And he told me, hey, tomorrow Michelle's coming, and when he comes, we're going to talk to you. I'm like, okay, no problem. So they pull me down in the basement office, and they basically spend like 40 minutes talking me out of going to culinary Interesting. school. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm actually, I, it comes up a lot in the show. Anybody who listens to the show knows that I don't necessarily think culinary school is the, the best path yeah. by today's yeah. means. We're, we live in an industry that's so starving for people, and people are more willing to put time and energy into their employees now because there's such a shortage of them, right? Like, yep. So, I mean, how much money did you save by not going to culinary school? $32,000. Exactly. I was getting signed up. And how much money up. are you making when you're in school, when you're working as a, a line cook? You well, know what I'm saying? You know, it's interesting. Like, I look back at the, that whole thing, and I'm actually really glad I did not go and I took their path. What was their argument? I'm, I'm curious. Um, they, you're, you're better than the culinary students. <laughs> They're like, dude, you're already you're like going backwards. Look at look at these guys coming out of school. Like you, we already rely on you more. You already have more skill. You're interested more. Like, why are you going to go spend money? So they made a deal with me that I would work three hours additional every day for free, and that they would spend more time mentoring me. Okay. It was kind of like, they kind of explained to me like a partial European apprentice. Yeah. And Alon, the, the chef de cuisine, he was fond of me. And so um, it worked out. And I was just lucky. I was just in this right spot. And once again, I just gravitated towards like, um, you know, places that were winning and the chefs that were winning. I knew Michelle Richard was a big chef. And so I just wanted to be around that. You know, the, the yeah. proximity is power. Yeah. You know, you, you said it very early on. Like when you, when you departed Phoenix to go travel the country to get this experience, you knew, you knew you wanted to go work for the best restaurants in every city. And like that mentality, do whatever it takes to get your foot in the doors to the best restaurants in the world and bust your ass. Do whatever it takes to impress these people. And if you if you show up and you care and you give enough, like they will take care of you. And like 100%. your story is a testament to that. I will tell you, like when I worked for Michelle Richard, they busted my. I mean, like it was rough. Yeah. And um and you know I thought I knew more than I did. Of course, like all the things, like every, almost every job I've had, I thought I knew more than I did. <laughs> and so they really were rough with me. I mean, they threatened to fire me multiple times and. Um, and but what what happened was is that eventually they became like family, mm. and then they also um, I, I eventually became a sous chef there. So I worked there until I was twenty two. Wow! So we're learning a lot about the the attitude that you had and the the mindset that you had. But from these mentors, John and Michelle, uh, did did you? learn anything about business about how to treat others nothing. about nothing okay nothing i mean i remember i look back at this it's funny because for nine years i worked for french guys yeah they, they don't there's no such thing as food costs in these type of restaurants mm. you know what i mean the volume the volume they're doing and the check average you're getting it i'm a behind the scenes there is something yeah but up front with us they, they're like just focus on your shit yeah when, when you're operating i guess at that level and um you're attracting onto yourself that type of attention. I mean, I guess the margins become less important uh, because you're just doing so much volume. You're, you're full every day and you're charging through the nose, I would imagine. Yeah. Your, your costs are being covered at this point. So I remember when I was at the Bistro M, I asked Alon, would you show me how to cost out a dish? Um, and because, you know, what, what I did is once I didn't, let me, let me backtrack a minute. So as soon as I didn't go to culinary school, what I decided I was going to create my own culinary school. Mm. So I actually, um, um, I decided that I was going to look at the curriculum okay. and I was going to model it. So when I worked in the sauce station, I would go home and read about sauces. Okay. And then I could come in the next day and apply what questions. I read yep. in there. So. Yeah. 
things, you know, so I'm reading at home, like, man, I have a, I have a 1800 cookbook collection at this moment. So when I didn't go to culinary school, I also told myself every time I got paid, I was going to buy a book. Wow. So I've been doing that since I was 19. Damn. What's Still, your library look like? 1800, 1800 books. That's incredible. Yeah. Man. So I got a, I got a, I got a huge I wish collection. we recorded this in your library. I know. I know. <laughs> and, and so, um, you know, I asked him how to cost that a dish and this is what he did. He cut a piece of fish. He looked at the invoice and said, this costs us this. He weighs it out. He's like, this piece of fish costs us $2.20. And then he said, I times it times three. And that's what my cost is. And then this is what we're going to sell it for. Yeah. That, that, that was the most basic formula. And <laughs> If you're looking for a more um, to the to the detail formula, uh, I, I actually, a native of Phoenix, um, Davis Scott Peters, I don't know if you know that name, very well-known restaurant consultant, was on the show, uh, probably one of the most downloaded shows I've ever recorded, uh, Menu Engineering. So oh, cool. I'll link to that in the show yeah. notes if you guys want to listen to it. Very valuable episode. I'd love to. Yeah. Um, and so what's the point here? What, what, are we, what are you trying to say Like as far as that lesson? like So they didn't know much about business. They knew how to cook. And well, at that time, it was enough? Someone knew about business. But, you know, they didn't, you know I was a young, I was, you know, I was 19. They weren't including me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I just wasn't a privy. But, the, the, you know, the executive chefs and the chefs cuisine, but they were focused on food. Yeah. Even Michelle Richard. I mean, he was not a business savvy person. Um, and so... Um, and, and so I did not learn a lot about business, but I learned a lot about food. I learned a lot about organization. I learned a lot about discipline, dedication, um, and, 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 and really just, you know, and, and really that working at that place, I almost never, because I worked for Michelle Richard for two and a half years, um, almost three years. Um, I never really had to fill out applications again. Yeah, because that's true. Because my your, your reputation is the, tied to these people, and that's one thing people don't realize. When you go to work for the best, I'm telling you right now, what's going to happen is somebody's going to read your resume, they're going to scan it, and they're going to see who you've worked for. It's probably the first thing they're going to look for. Yeah. And when you associate your brand with other successful brands, people make assumptions. 100%. And it opens doors. Uh, maybe it shouldn't be that way, but it, it is that way. Well, I mean, once again, proximity is power. Mm-hmm. If I were to leave here and go work at the French Laundry, even if Thomas Keller's not there all the time and I'm working and I'm rubbing elbows with those people, opportunity will come out of that. It's yeah. that simple. Absolutely. And, and, and a, lot of, a lot of young people, they don't get that. I'm like, dude, you, wanna, you really want to go do something, go here and work yeah, for this person. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's so true. I mean, just through doing this, this episode, it, success breeds success. Yeah. Right. And there's almost always, there's probably a total of like 60 restaurants, which isn't that many restaurants when you think about it, that a majority of my guests have come through. Yeah. Which, that's a, oh, that's yeah. a statement. Totally. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so I think one other thing that's worth pointing out here, I love your approach of, and this re- reminds me, I was a commercial pilot before, uh, resigning and starting this podcast in the way that we we were taught at Daniel Webster College, the school I went to, uh, to become a commercial pilot. It was always, here's the material, learn it, you get a test on it, and then I teach it to you. And it sounds like you adopted that natural pro- that natural process of like, oh, we're going to do this thing. Like, I'm going to learn about it, and then I'm going to ask questions, right? And what's the power of taking that approach, of taking the initiative to, to, to educate, then then ask for more? Well, you know, for me, what, what the way I looked at it is I was obsessed. Like, I was just like, I mean, I just wanted to be in the restaurant all the time. I wanted to be in the kitchen all the time. And so once I started buying a book every paycheck, I had to read it. So I yep. started reading it. And, you know, and I was competitive and I wanted to move up and I had goals and I was just having a blast to be quite honest with you. I mean, 19 years old in San Francisco working for a famous chef, you know, he took me on a book tour. We traveled all over. I mean, it was just the time of my life. 
So you said you didn't learn much about business, but you learned a ton about food. At what point do you start living intentionally to learn more about business so you could open your own place? When I opened my own restaurant. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, you know, I'll tell you right now is, is that when I moved to Arizona in 2000, I mean, you know, I would learn certain things about business, but I mean, I'm talking like, you know, you know, I always look at the restaurant as two parts. You have the restaurant business, it's restaurant, hospitality, hot food, hot, cold food, cold, dining room, service, design, music, back of the house. Okay. Finance, legal, you know, all of that stuff. So I kind of s- separate in two categories. Most of the time when you're working for someone at a lower level until you get to a high level and they're relying on you to run their business, you are basically working about worrying about the first part of the restaurant. Yeah. You know, my employees here right now that are here, they're worrying about that. They what don't people see basically. What people see, yeah. what they touch and they things taste. like that. Yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, until I got in a place where I was taking on some serious responsibility and I was helping build a company and build a business, I didn't, you know, I wasn't, I was just food forward. Okay. When, when did that start to happen? When you started, when I moved here back here to early two thousands, Yeah. before we jump to that, is it worth highlighting anybody else? Cause you went out to New York city, you went out to Boston. I don't want to leave any mentors I'll give you the quick, the quick version. So after I worked for Michelle Richard, I asked Michelle Richard to send me to France. Like that was my goal. I wanted to go to France. I wanted to work for the Michelin star restaurants. And he basically told me I wasn't ready, which, you know, it was cool. I was 19. I still, I Which really, is funny because people go to culinary school and then get apprenticeships at these, these Michelin star restaurants, but you weren't, you were overqualified for culinary school. Well, the reality <laughs> was I wasn't ready. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so he says, Hey, I'm going to do it. I'll do you a favor. I will get you a job um, with restaurant Danielle in New York City. Okay. With Danielle Balut. That's not a bad, you know, runner no. up. <laughs> he said, he said, he'll send you to France. Mm. So um, we went to New York. I went with him. He cooked at the James Beard House, and me and Alon and a couple group of people we went to with Michelle. We went to dine at Daniel Balud. They talked to him in French. I'm sitting there, like, you know, 19 years old, scared. Um, you know, I'm not 19 at this time. I'm like 21. Yep. I'm like 21. So then um, they, he, he told me to come back in the kitchen, and he told me that he'll give me a job, but I need to be there in 10 days. Damn. So I have no intention of moving to New York City. <laughs> and then here, you know, arguably at the yeah. time, the most famous chef in the country right. is saying he's going to give me a job. So I was just like, I, I went home and sold everything. I'm, oh, yeah. yeah. I was like, <laughs> I sold everything. I sold everything in one day for $800. And I went home and borrowed uh, $1,400 from my parents. I moved to New York City with $2,200 in my pocket. Wow. Nowhere to live. Nowhere. I didn't know how much money I was making. Yeah, you basically had enough money for your first month's rent. <laughs> I, I, got, I got off the airplane and I went to the restaurant and I actually worked that day. They let, wow. me, they let me put my bags in the hotel next door. I worked that day and at the end of the shift, when I got done, I had nowhere to go. Man. And so I rented like a little hotel and I basically found a place to live the next morning. That's incredible. Like, and, and in New York City, finding a place in one day is is like, what a, I, you go, know, keep going, keep going. Finding, I mean, it, that's hard to do. Yeah, absolutely. And what I love about your story is that, you know, it's just relative, right? And like people look at their lives like, how can I get my career in the restaurant industry started? Like, what are you willing to do? Yeah. What are you willing to do? Like, you're willing to pick up your entire life in 10 days and move to one of the most expensive cities in the world with no home No, yet. no Nothing one. lined up. And like, you get what you put into it, right? Yeah. And I think I, I love 
hosting this show because I get to, sh- to make an example. I get to give people reference points. Yeah. And when they can look at their own life, like, what am I doing to move my life forward? And like, I, I just love what you're sharing with us. Well, right you now. know, I, the way I always looked at it, I mean, I, I've done a lot of hairy stuff in my life. And, dude, I can just call, make a call and go home. Well, the that's the thing. Day. When you're 21 years old, uh, like, how hard is it to recover? I'm Not like, hard. I'm like, it's I'm a like, ticket back home. I, my mom and dad love me. If I called them right now and said I need to take it home, they would get me to take it home and I could come home yeah. and I could regroup. Yeah, so, how long? Sorry, keep going. So, so I, I went to New York City. I worked at Restaurant Danielle. Unfortunately, it was short-lived. Why, it was, what it, happened? Why was it unfortunate? Well, I'll tell you because this is relevant because it's actually probably one of my biggest regrets okay. in my career. So you love I, regrets. Keep yeah. going. <laughs> so I worked for Restaurant Danielle. And when I got there, you know, when I came from the Bistro M in San Francisco coming to Restaurant Danielle in New York City, like the guy who made staff meal at Restaurant Danielle was a better cook than I was. Wow. And because I worked for Michelle Richard, they put me as on the meat station and I just got eaten alive. And they were like really rough. I mean like really rough. So they kicked me off the meat station very quickly. Like after the third day, they were like, this guy's not going to get this. And, you know, it, it, the, the intensity, the volume, the, the, the precision, I mean, it was so much more than I was used to. I mean, just for perspective, meat station is like what people aspire to in the yeah, kitchen, it's like right? The, you started it in the, yeah. I started How in the meat How did that station. even happen? Well, because I was a sous chef for Michelle Richard, and so they were like, well, he's a sous chef for Michelle Richard, then he can probably handle our meat station, and, and I couldn't. Okay. What was it about the meat station that gave you a challenge? Well, the whole kitchen, you know, like, so it's interesting. It's like coming from California, everyone's loving. And like, you know, I always tell people when I live in... Supportive. Yeah. When I live in San Francisco, I used to like go to the grocery store and meet people and at that night be at their house at a barbecue. When you go to New York City, <laughs> Forget they, they didn't even know my name yeah. for like, I mean, in my next job I went to work in, they didn't know my name for like six months. They called me California Bitch Dog. Like, that was my name. California Bitch, bitch Dog. Dog. Yeah. Okay. And I'm like, okay, you know. So, and also, I, 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 I mean, I'm, I, at this point, I'm fair, I'm a fairly gentle guy. Yeah. I, I've changed over the years. But, <laughs> um, um, but you know, um, and so it was just really like a rough experience. And it was cold. I didn't know anyone. I had no money. <laughs> um, I was sleeping on a, 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 a door. I oh found a door on the way home that I put two, two milk crates on and a sleeping bag. Like, that literally how I slept. Wow. And so, you know, um, it was it was tough. And, and they were really t- tough there. Like, they weren't... So, I had a... a, a, a what, what ended the, re- the the relationship was there was a... My partner, they moved me to a different station, got me out of meat. They put me in a veg station. And my partner there was from California, too. Um, in fact, ironically, he is... Um, uh, he owns a restaurant in Napa Valley right now. And I'm going to remember his name in a minute. He owns a restaurant called Red. Okay. And so... We were partners, and you know he would he would like put play jokes on me, like put stuff in my sauce that shouldn't go in there. So when we pass everything down to the chef, they would taste it. Then he would like freak out, and there they would explode, like it was like an earthquake. Oh man! And so you know, Wait, people were messing up your so- sauce at yeah, uh, yeah. Daniel Baloods. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So you know, I got frustrated, and um, so um, and he was picking on me. And he was older than me. He came from France. He yeah. this was like his finishing school. Yeah. So, you know, I was really bummed and frustrated. And so one day I had this bright idea that I was going to stick an egg in his pocket of his jacket and punch him. And I did. And when I did, he dropped a piece of fish. Oh. 
and 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 it just it just the whole kitchen erupted. Oh man! Because we were they were plating the plate was ready. He was passing the fish down on a sizzle platter, and I punched him, and he dropped like he fumbled around and dropped this. Ouch! And, so the next day, they, it was not good. So the next morning, I came in. This is I've been in, I was in the rush. I worked in that restaurant for twenty eight days. Okay. So the next morning, I come in, and I could just tell the vibe that I was not welcome. That that he was he was the one that had a lot of skill. He was much better. I basically was a young kid this punk. So I just decided to pack up my knives and leave. This was your partner. Yeah, he was my partner in my station. He, yeah. he didn't let vouch for you. His name is Richard Reddington. And ironically, later on in life, we reconnected. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, it's just it was the environment. And to yeah. be quite honest with you, in that 28 days, I learned a lot of what not to do. What did you learn not to do? What I learned not to do is like they treated people like shit. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it was. I think you get to a certain point of accolade and fame where you get you take your people for granted because you have such abundance. Yeah, of access to these people that like you know you can turn through right. Yeah. Like if if you don't work out, we got five more in the queue. Right? Oh, especially in that restaurant. Yeah, they exactly. had stacks of resumes. They would just burn through you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and also, you know, it was very violent. It was very, it was still really old school. Like, I watched Daniel Balud kick a guy. Yeah, this is in the 90s when restaurants 90, were. There's like 97 at this point. Still chaotic, right? So, you know, I, I realized, so I left there. I cried all the way home. Ugh. As a grown man, I walked home. I cried because I moved here for this. Right. And, like, I'm sitting here in New York City. And now I have to call Michelle and tell him. Didn't that I, Yeah, that I, I walked out of a restaurant, which. You know, I mean, like you gave it your best that it didn't work out. Yeah. But, you know, in hindsight, in hindsight, I wish I would have stayed. But would you have had the option? I would have muscled it up. I would have gotten humble. Yeah. And, you know, as an adult looking back, I would I would have put my tail between my legs and said, you know what, guys, I fucked up. Let me have another chance, and you know, the, you know, and I would have tried to recover. Yeah, why? Why would you have wanted to stay? What because was, what because would have because I'll tell you a couple things. I mean, one, um, you know, it was it was the the food was the best food I'd ever seen. Yeah, and so and then the exposure once again the proximity. So the guys that I worked with. Um, that were in the kitchen. There was like seven of us. Richard Reddington, he has like two Michelin stars in Napa. Okay. Um, uh, um, there was two, Riyad and Lee. There were the, they worked on the meat station with me. They went on to be partners at Pastis, and now they have a whole huge restaurant group. Okay. So, you know, and then my other partner, he works at, um, for John George Von Gretchen in Paris wow. at his restaurant market. So it opens doors, man. You can't, doors. you can't argue that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I mean, it looks like he's done all right. Like, I mean, one, one hundred, <laughs> 100%, but I just, I just, you know, um, I, 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 in a way, um, sometimes I look back and I question if I gave up. And so that's where I get hung up sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I don't let it hang up, but there is, that is one thing in my career. That is the one thing I'm like, I wish I would have stayed through that. And, and and followed through on that. So I know you're also in Boston. Uh, we, yeah. we've, we touched L.A., we touched San Francisco, we touched New York City. Anybody worth bringing to the surface? Was it Nancy Oaks? Yeah, Nancy Oaks. You know, um, to be honest with you, I worked at Boulevard before I moved here. Okay. Um, you know, so I went back to San Francisco. I worked at the Ritz-Carlton. Um, I worked there. I did pastry. Um, you know, I worked for the Ritz-Carlton for four years in Boston and in San Francisco. I okay. transferred over. And then when Before I worked, Schultz, he's a past guest on the show, by the way. Oh, really? And he was probably big during that time. Oh, yeah. Presence. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. The, um, the 24 standards of service. I bet you could probably recite the majority of those. I, I, I can, <laughs> but it was a stellar place to work. Yeah. And I'll tell you right now, this goes back into young culinarians. I mean, working at Ritz-Carlton Boston, for example, you know, they have four restaurants. They have a garmage. They have pastry. I mean, you go to a place like that, you spend four years, you're going to come out and know a lot of yep. shit. 
Yep. You know, and that's what, so I was just, I went to a hotel. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do well in hotels. You Why know, not? Um, you know, um, I, at the Ritz Carlton, I actually got five star, five, five star, five diamond employee of the month. And so they would give you a five star, five diamond. Well, I got five star, five diamond for like four months in a row. Damn. And I had so many write ups, they could have fired me. <laughs> Wait. So, so the how do you chef, get all these diamonds and all these stars and getting written up I was at the same a, time? Because I performed well yeah. and I didn't listen. Okay. You know, and so the chef would bring me in the office and like, dude, technically I have to fire you, <laughs> but they're giving you another five star, five diamond. And so I kind of like realized, you know, there's too many rules. Mm. I, one of the reasons why I wanted to work in the kitchen when I was younger, as an old adult, I don't have this anymore, obviously, but I like, I wanted to work in a place where I could tell someone to fuck off. And, and I, you can't do that in a hotel. No. But a small independent restaurant in the 90s, all day yeah, long. Right. You know? And so that was actually, ironically, that was something that it's, was important it, to me. It's funny that you mentioned that because I'm kind of having this like internal like dialogue, internal debate within myself where you learn, you, you profile all these successful restaurateurs, you learn what to do. And a lot of what to do is systems, processes, procedures, protocol, routine, habits, over and over and over and over again. Me personally, I'm the kind of person where I th- I thrive in chaos. One hundred percent, you know, and like you, and I'm like, well, and like, will I ever be successful as somebody who loves chaos, who loves the unpredictable, right? Yeah. And like, and when you think about it, like the world needs chaos. Yeah, the world doesn't work without chaos. Mm-hmm. You know, there, it's like that eighty twenty like order, and like there's that, that there's got to be that something out there that spins and turns things over and challenges the status quo. I think it's important. Yeah, I think it's important to have a little bit of chaos. I mean, it's the yin and the yang, right? It's you need that balance. You need that little that that. Do you want to? You pick, you're picking up what I'm putting down. Yeah, right? yeah. You know, I have a. I had a psychologist tell me one time that if I was driving a car at 100 miles an hour and I had a blowout, I would be able to process it and emotionally deal with it. But if you stuck me in a quiet room with the bank statement, I would go crazy. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and you know what I mean. And that's just the true, like the reality. No, I can relate to that. And as I get older, ironically, I'm really changing my ways. I'm how are really, you dealing with it? How are you how are you learning to be less chaotic and more organized? Well, the the thing is, is that you know you can't you can't. I'm 33 years in this industry. Yeah. And you know, um, you know, and. So, you know, waking up and going to a restaurant every single day for 33 years, after a while, like, it's like, you know, working a salad station for two years, you know, it gets boring. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm, you know, trying to develop people and I'm trying to be a better boss and like, how do we have core values and leadership and how do we expand and how do we make money and all these different things. So I'm also, you know, I used to get myself really worked up because that was the way I was trained. Yep. I would walk in the door, super high energy. I would be like, you know, um, all over people, um, driving, pushing, pushing, pushing. But what I came to realize, you know, once I opened my own business, I realized that it, it just doesn't work. Yeah. Like you're going to get more out of people if you treat them differently. Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to take our first break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to dive into your move back to Phoenix. And I think this is probably where like the, the systems processes organization, because you were opening restaurants at this point. Right? Yeah. So we'll take that quick break. We'll be right back and we'll dive into it. Bento Box is more, much, much more than just another restaurant website developer. It is a hospitality platform designed to disrupt third-party services that come between the restaurant and the guest. Bento Box puts the restaurant first and offers tools that drive high-margin revenue directly through the restaurant website. These tools allow you to easily update menus, promote and sell events, share your press and media attention with the world, sell gift cards, take catering orders and much much more in other words 
BentoBox puts you in control so that you can focus on what matters most, your restaurant. BentoBox is trusted and loved by over 5,000 restaurants worldwide because they empower restaurants to own their presence, profits, and relationships online. Sign up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable. One more time, that is getbento.com slash unstoppable. We're back, and uh, we're going to get into your, your move back to Phoenix. When did you know it was time to come home? Um, you know, I wanted to open a restaurant. Yeah. And what happened to me is when I was living in San Francisco, I worked at a restaurant called Rubicon. Okay. And um, there was a chef there, and he was the most talented chef, one of the most talented chefs I ever worked with. And um, just skill-wise, I mean, he was just a badass. Mm-hmm. And he went to go open his own restaurant, and I was just so pumped for him, and it failed. Oh no! And it failed nasty for him, and I could see him. He like lost his family's money, oh. and he never recovered. In fact, today he works at a grocery store in Berkeley. Oh my gosh! So it really. So I saw that, and you know, and, and this guy was like really like a much higher level skilled person than I was. So. I realized, I was like, you know, if I'm going to be really honest with myself to open a restaurant in San Francisco, it's just so difficult. The yeah. competition is fierce. The, the amount of capital. And the reality was I wasn't getting in a position where I, I was getting those opportunities. So I'm like, and then I would look at my friends that were executive chefs and they're making 65 grand working their ass off and barely surviving. You're working, but you, you mean with... What are you doing with that 65? Just going in the bank all day because you're working, right? Well, I mean, yeah, in San Francisco, you're paying your rent. You're yeah. paying, you know, there's, a, there's an expensive place to live. Yeah, that's true. So, so I decided I wanted to move to a different area. I wanted to find a, a, a what I like a, a, a different market. So I looked at a handful of different places. And at the time, my mother had gotten sick. And I came back to Arizona and I was kind of stuck here for like 20 days while she was going through some procedures and I was with her because we thought she was going to die, but she didn't. She's still here. And and so I spent, I had like 20 days and I, and it was the middle of summer. It was fucking hot. And I just drove around the, the city that I grew up in. Yeah. And I was like shocked because I'm like, there's nothing here. Exactly. So you're bringing up something that I think is really important. And I think people think that they want to be successful in today's market. Like they have to go to either New York, Los Angeles, yeah. or like these big cities, right? But that's not the truth anymore. And I think that was no. true at, at one point because you needed the eclectic market to be able to do that type of food, right? But now yeah. that the world is eclectic, right? And you're better off going to a smaller underserved market because imagine you trying to open a restaurant in New York City. Who do you have to compete with? Yeah. The best in the world or at least a a good chunk of the best in the world you come to phoenix arizona in the early 2000s who do you gotta compete with so what 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 really got me is i went to high school here yeah and they talked about four chefs in high school so i leave i'm gone for 14 years i graduated 91 this is 2000 so a decade you're still talking about the same chefs i'm like (laughs) what the fuck so so i decided and then i have a big family you know, I have seven brothers and sisters. One brother's in finance. One brother's a realtor. One brother, he's an you investor. Got, you got a, a team. <laughs> so, so I knew that yeah. my dad's a builder. He owns a construction company. There you go. So I knew if I came back here that I would be able to utilize my resources. Yes, your roots. And I think that that's something that comes up a lot too. And I mean, it doesn't always work out th- this way. It's not always the the, the scenario. But we, where you go to 
to where you have a network, where you have roots, where you have foundation, where you have community. Yeah. Um, I feel like those relationships, especially early on in your career where you don't have a lot to your name, those relationships will go so much further if you have a network already established yep. someplace, mm-hmm. right? You think that served you? 100%. Yeah. 100%. So, I mean, like, I, you know, there, I was looking at a few other, like, I really love Napa Valley. I was thinking about moving to Napa. And in hindsight, I didn't know anyone. I would just be starting over. And, and, and there was a huge ses- surge of restaurants at that time frame in that, in that area anyways. So I was happy I moved here. And, you know, I moved here in um, uh, 2001, and, um, and then, I, ironically, I went, I went searching for fine dining. And so I, you know, I look up the review, Howard Steff tells his yeah. five-star restaurants, and I went to eat at all of them. I filled an application at 22 restaurants, and, and they weren't fine dining. There's only, like, there's still only, like, a couple fine dining restaurants. But I filled application and I went to every interview because I really wanted to see behind the scenes what was going on. I was I have always been very particular where I worked. Mm-hmm. If I could smell that a restaurant was not making money, I was gone. Mm-hmm. If I there one restaurant I worked at a long time ago, the chef was on cocaine and everyone knew it, and you could tell I was gone. So what are you looking for? You see behind the scenes, like what characteristics, what qualities are you looking for when you're sniffing around behind the scenes? Cleanliness, organization, you know, um, you know. Uh, when it when uh, when mentality um, strong leadership mm-hmm. um, that kind of stuff. So which restaurant in Phoenix met that mark? Well, so interesting enough. So what happened was I started going to all these fancy restaurants, and I knew a chef from New York City who there was a restaurant here in the Phoenician called Mary Elaine's mm-hmm. Bradford Thomas. He worked at Danielle. Okay. So we had oh, some a camaraderie there. Yeah. yeah. Well, not a camaraderie, but you know, like a, uh, something sticky to connect to, to relate to. Yeah. So we had, we had some, he gave me a job. I worked there for two weeks and in the two weeks, um, you know, it came apparent, like he didn't really need me and they were going into summer and I just like, it dawned on me one day. I'm like, you know, I'm just fucking tired of this food. I'm tired of spending all the... I'm tired of lemon coulis. I'm tired of lobster, blah, blah, blah. I just, I just kind of went through this weird phase of wanting, wanting and also realizing that I was moving to a very, very unsophisticated market. And if I wanted to make... I knew I wanted to open my own restaurant. And so I went to all the five-star restaurants and none of them were busy. Mm. So I'm going, okay, they're not making money. And this is not happening, you know? And so... I, I, the, at the time, I hear about this little grocery store called the Grand Ronds Grocery. It opened up. I was their sixth employee. So I went there like their fourth day. I walk in. I order a sandwich. It's six fifty. I eat it. It's delicious. The owner's there. The place is vibing. You know, um, and, and the quality was there, and it was cool, and there was a bunch of chicks everywhere, and the kitchen was open, and it was in a neighborhood, and I, and I went up to the owner, and literally in 30 minutes, he hired me, and the next morning, I was working there. Nice. So, um, where did you, like, what was the story behind this restaurant? What, was, what were they doing? Well, like, how did they come in, and why were they doing so well? Like, what set them up for success? Well, the owner of the restaurant, one of the owners, the original founder, Bob Lynn is his name. Um, he is a vice president. He was a vice president of Hillstone, okay. or Houston's at the time. That's that's out in New York, isn't it? No, they're actually based in Santa Monica. Oh, okay. So they're, they're probably, they, and I don't quote me on this, but, but they're probably arguably one of the richest and most successful restaurant companies in the world. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And, he, and what was what was his relation to it? He was VP. So he did this on the side. Okay. So this was his little side hustle. Well, he owned all the buildings. Okay. So yeah, he did this on the side. This is the side. But they didn't know. 
okay. they did, like this is where it kind of <laughs> got weird. He was doing all these restaurants on the side, and he was the VP for Hillstone. How the hell do you swing a bunch of little fun projects on the side? You and know, trying to- money, and he he was a very. He, he was. He still is. He's a super talented guy. Yeah. So he understood how to get talent. And here I am. At, I'm, I'm coming from Boulevard and have all this experience. And the next day I'm making English muffin and cooking egg whites. Yeah. You know, so he understood. But, you know, the vibe was cool. He also was a great teacher. Yeah. And, and, and this is what I'm excited about because I think we're going to pull some nuggets of uh, knowledge that he shared with you that hopefully you can pass on to us. Yeah, you know, and what happened was is that I was adamant. I am here in Phoenix. I am opening my own restaurant. What is the fastest path? And I realized when I'm working in Marion Lane's making um, uh, preserve lemon coulis or whatever it was, I remember, I literally remember making this and I was just like, you know what? This is fucking stupid. I've done this already. I didn't know anything about how to run a business. Mm. And after how many years? I mean, this is going back early 2000s. I'd already been 16 years in the business. Yeah. You know, and I think that you know, this, this is why the, this podcast exists because so many people don't know that they, they work in a restaurant, they figure out how to cook, and there's just so many little. It's the it's the E myth to the T, the entrepreneurial myth, right? Yeah. That yep. There's a book out, Michael Gerber, the E myth, and that's basically yeah, the idea that like, oh, I'm a better cook than all these people. I'm gonna go open my own restaurant. Yeah, I see and it all you're the like, time. God damn, there's so much shit I have to do, and I don't realize. And you you recognize this before you open your place, which is a good thing. Yeah. So I knew I'm like I, I don't know how to run a business. You know what I mean? Like I really don't like how do I get money. And how do I sign a lease? And how yeah. do I do this? So once again, I work for Bob Lynn. I'm a sixth employee. I'm starting making. What was his name? Bob Lynn again. Bob Lynn. Yeah. Gotcha. I'm gonna make a mental note of that. So you know, and um, basically, I did the same thing I did to all my every place I worked. I mean, so at the time, I literally called him every single morning nice. at 9 a.m. when I woke up, and I said, "What are we doing today?" Nice. And I did this every day. And what happened was, I mean, he literally would be like, come over to my house and move my refrigerator. <laughs> like, I did everything. Nice. And I knew he was really, he had, he's probably, to be honest with you, he was a very, very talented restaurateur. He owns multiple restaurants in California now, here. What's his Phoenix. most uh, significant attribute? You're saying he's a talented restaurateur, but where's the talent? Um, he's an amazing um, uh, uh, he understands how to assemble teams. Okay. And he's really good at conceptualizing. Okay. So he looks at his marketplace and he says, I know what that guy wants. Mm. And he puts product out there. And, and, and so I'm working with him and, um, and I'm going to him and I'm telling him when he's hiring me, I am going to be your competition one day. I am going to open my own restaurant. I want to learn as much as I can from you. And he knew it. He could feel it. And like I said, every morning. So I worked for six years with them. We opened five restaurants in less than five years. So we opened a restaurant every year. And, um, you know, I learned tons. And and what happened was it got to a certain point, he pulled me out of the kitchen and I started getting in operations. And that's when I started learning about bookkeeping. And and so I would travel with him at the time. So I, I got a divorce. I was married in my 20s and then I got a divorce at this time when I worked for them. So I really had nothing to do but stay focused on my career. Gotcha. So I literally, like, he, he we used to, he, in, at La Grande Ranch Grocery, we'd make pizzas, and I would drive him pizzas from Phoenix to L.A. on my day off. What? Yeah. 
and I mean, I can run. I did this regularly. That's a ten hour drive, right? Like nine, uh, or no, maybe eight, six eight hour, hours. Eight yeah, hour it's like seven, yeah. eight hours. And yeah. I would drive him pizzas, and he would taste them, and we would hang out. I would stay but the that night. Pizza after eight hours is going to be the same. I mean, he, you know, it was yeah. just, you know, he, he this, wanted. He's probably just looking more for consistency than anything else, right? That, but also, you know, um, um, he, I, I wanted to learn, yeah. so I would hang out with him. I would anytime I had time off, and I would listen to him on the telephone talking to his lawyer. And he, I would ask him about how he'd get a deal done. I mean, it's coming back up. I mean, this, we covered this earlier, the power of surrounding yourself with people yeah. that are going to get you ahead and, and then attach yourself to them. Ask questions. Well, Be a you, pain in the ass if you have to. You, the thing about what people don't realize is that um, you have to attach yourself to them. But how you're going to attach themselves, yourself to them is add value. Yes. Yes. So, like, I mean, I would do anything. Literally, literally every single morning I would call yeah. them. What are we and, doing? And you bring up a really good point. I think a lot of people will approach somebody who is successful and be like, hey, I want you to teach me. And that's not the right approach. Yeah. The right approach is, hey, I have this yeah. asset that I'm really good at, or I can do this really well. I don't want to do it for, free, for you for free or whatever. We yeah. try, to, try to add value before you ask for value. So I would work from 9 in the morning until 3 o'clock when my shift started. So when I started with them, I worked on, I, I, I got paid hourly. Okay. And I um, would from 9 to 3, I would work for free. Doing whatever he wanted, landscaping, meet with this guy, plant plants on the patio, run food, bail the kitchen out. I mean, I did everything. And I did this literally for almost two years. And what happened was, is that it it came to a point where I knew so much, he couldn't not pay me. Mm. So I went from $14 an hour when I left there, I was making, you know, over over six figures because... I, you know, and people like, I see this all the time right now. So for two years, I, he ba- I basically work for free for yeah. him. Check out the book, Lynchpin. Now, I'm not telling you and they'll tell yeah. me the listeners, but basically what you're describing is the lynchpin. Lynch, uh, you're describing the lynchpin. Become so valuable that they need you, he, you know, he, like, because you know so much that if you leave, like, they're like, crap, now what we do, like, become the lynchpin, right? So it's interesting. When I left that job, I didn't have a role. Like I just was we just, Aaron. Like, yeah. Like if we utility had, guy. <laughs> if 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 we would have had a a, um, a regional manager, I would might have been that. But I didn't have a job. I didn't have anywhere to go. I didn't have any responsibility. I didn't have anything. Like because I just worked so closely with him, and 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 I and 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 also I would deliver the truth. That was another big thing. And then he had a partner named Craig DeMarco who was very successful. They ended up splitting, and Craig DeMarco opened a restaurant called Postino. Okay. He recently sold let's, it. Let's backpedal here. You said yeah. something that's really struck a man with me, delivering the truth. Uh, I think that truth is undervalued. How do you deliver truth in a way that isn't disrespectful? You know what I'm saying? In yeah. a way that like people aren't going to be pissed at you, because it's hard to be truthful. I mean, truth hurts sometimes. Yeah. How, how did you get good at delivering truth? Yeah, it's simple. Um, hey, um, uh, you know, back then we didn't have um, all the social media and internet yeah. and all that shit, so I'd call him at 9 o'clock at night. He's in L.A. He lived in Hollywood at the time. Hey, Bob, we had a really shitty service. This is what happened. This is what I saw. This is who's responsible. This is what I'm doing. Tomorrow morning I'm going to be in here. I'm going to make sure we get this shit together, and yeah. we're going to fix it. Yep. And, you know, I mean, that kind of stuff. Like, yeah. you know... Owning up to it, and 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 you bring know, it to the surface before it rises up on its own. And he's 100%. like, "What the fuck happened here?" You're like, "Oh, yeah. I was going to tell you about that, but I was yeah. hoping you wouldn't notice." One hundred percent. So, so he knew that I had his back. I mean, I was a good officer, person of value. Become a person of value. You know, there's so many different ways you can be of value. It can be through your knowledge. It can be because you're trusted, right? Yeah. And like these are all these things you can do. You can add value to your relationships. Yeah. Um. You, you said that you learned so much from Bob. And it's going to be so hard to pull out these lessons because yeah. when you have a mountain of knowledge that you got from one person, how do you pick? But 
if you could narrow it down to like one or two things that he taught you that made you who you are today, that sets you up for the ability to go on and open your own places, what would those things be? I mean, you know, one, um, he he was a talent seeker. Like he knew how to pull talent together, and yep. I learned that from him. So, how, like specifically, how do you pull talent together? You're always looking. Okay, and how, always. Looking. What things do you do to make sure that you're always looking? I mean, I'll tell you a couple things I do right now. I mean, I, you know, I'm on Instagram, on social media. Sometimes I sit at home on a Sunday night in my boxers. <laughs> That's your painting that picture for <laughs> 11 o'clock <laughs> at night. And I get on Instagram and I literally reach out to random chefs in that valley. And, what are you saying? Um, oh, my God, that food looks amazing. Hey, I'm looking for a pastry person. You know anyone? Oh, my gosh. You know, let's meet for coffee sometime. You know, hey, I heard good things about you. Whatever. Yeah, yeah just start you know, the conversation. Start the conversation. So when I see someone who's talented, then I'm kind of look, looking and, and, you know, trying to put that together. And so, you know, always looking. I, I literally, less than a month ago, I was driving on the road and I saw a lady in her chef uniform at the bus stop. And I stopped and I literally gave her a ride and, and, and offered her a job. That's so cool. So, you know, like... You know, she might so, have been a little creeped out at first, but I'm sure. <laughs> no, she was cool. I mean, right? Cool. Now, you know, I mean, it it, it 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 was cool. You know, I mean, it didn't work out, but you I don't send out those vibes. Yeah. No, no, it was, <laughs> it was. Um, and and so you know, um, he he understood how to build a team and a talent. Um, you know, and also um, so always looking is a big thing to take away from that. Always looking, always and, and looking, always just just start the conversation right there on my front door, right below our A yeah. on our health yep. department. It says we are hiring. Yeah. When you uh, go on our website, it says we are hiring. So what happens when you're like filled to the brim with great people and you, um, you have like this rock star walk in the front door? What do you do? You hire them and you you evaluate your team and you figure out who's your weakest link and you get rid of them and you bring the rock star in. Man, what happens if you have a relationship with that weakest link? Well, you know, I mean, typically that doesn't happen. I tell my managers, I want team out on the patio ready to clock in. Yeah. Just because you have racehorses doesn't mean you need to race them. Yeah, and you also create the the culture that listen. Like just because you're here, doesn't necessarily mean that you you're safe. And not in a, in a, uh, that's not a, that it can't come no. up great. But you know what I'm saying? Like we're always looking to improve. Is the culture yeah. that I'm trying to say? Yeah. And and you can't just kind of coast. Like you gotta you gotta show up that same level that you did when you first got started. Always looking to learn. Always looking to hustle. And you you can't you can't rest on your loyals. It's not a bad culture. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, and things change. Like two years ago, I was building, and I needed more talent. Yeah. And now I don't. Yeah. I'm 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 I'm, ch- I'm shifting. Yeah. So we'll so, get into that shift. I yeah. Think eventually. So 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 you know I think there's surges. Yeah. But with Bob, I learned how to build teams and and to get talent around you. Okay. What? We, what so we kind of covered that. How to how to build teams. How to get talent around you. What else did he teach you? So this is one big thing he opened my eyes to, and I see a lot of restaurant people do go wrong. He got me to understand the market. He got me to understand that you're in a marketplace. Quit, quit fantasizing about what fucking John George taught you in New York. Get out of the four walls, yeah, right, and look and, at the bigger picture, and, and 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 look at what people want and produce that. And so, for example, I see so many chefs. I see a chef right now in, in the Valley opening a restaurant, and he wants to. Sh- he's going to teach the market what he knows. He's going to, and you know, there is some element of, you know, you like you said. Behind every good restaurant is a good person. But the reality is, if the marketplace doesn't want it, you're not going to fucking win. Yeah, so how do you know the market wants it? You have to get out there and look. Where like, you for looking? example, when I, when I opened St. Francis, I was under construction. I would drive the neighborhoods. 
I'll tell you a true story. I drove the neighbor, guys mowing the lawn. I stop. I said, hey, I'm opening a restaurant on the corner. I get to know him. I shake his hand. I say, what would you want to see on the menu? And he says, you know what? No one around here makes a good pork chop. That became our signature item for Damn. nine years. Nice. So, you know, I listened to the market. Yeah, listening to you share this, like the, the, the value of what the market wants, I can't help but reflect back to what you said about this, this chef who was the, probably one of the best chefs you've ever worked with, open a restaurant and fail. Mm-hmm. Maybe he wasn't giving the market what they wanted. He you know, wasn't. Like, well, he opened in the wrong location, but once again, that was ego. Yeah. That was ego. That was, he- oh, they're going to come to me. Yeah, do you know who I am? Yeah. yeah. So so I, I think that that's really one of the things I learned from the Grand Ranch Grocery yep. was, you know, feed people what they want. And, 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 you know, and things change. I will tell you, like, I changed as an individual in this time period, in that six years, because I was technically in the past a fine dining chef. And when I moved here to Arizona, fine dining, I mean, still today. You had to adapt and evolve to what the market needed. And I got to tell you, like, I did, what I did is I went to what was important to you, Aaron. Aaron, what's important to me? What's important to me is high quality ingredients. Okay, I'm going to keep getting high quality ingredients. I'm going to follow the seasons. I'm going to do this. But I'm going to make the food really simple. Even open More, approach, more approachable. Phoenix Public Market Cafe, I mean, here, you know, we serve super simple fit. And to be quite honest, it made my job easier. Mm. What? What? Wait, what made that easier? Because I don't have to fuss for 20 hours over fucking this fancy food. Yeah. So just keeping it simple and just having the high quality ingredients. I mean, you can have high quality ingredients and do them simply. You know, there's 100%. Exactly. So, and then you're hitting the market. So I'm here looking across the street. I'm looking right now at ASU, which is a university and the dorm. And, you know, um, and, and we have a lot of females that come here, a lot of young students and stuff like that. What do you guys want? What do you, oh, you want more vegan stuff? Let's go work on some vegan yeah. dishes. So making it about the people, making it what they want, and then yeah. supplying what their the demand is. So the Grand Ranch Grocery, we opened up, I think, I mean, you know, uh, we were doing almost $9 million in sales. So it's a high-volume restaurant. Yeah. I mean, uh, 3,000 customers a day. Okay. And so, you know, they're in a different location than I am right now. They're in a prime location. Um, Now, um, but my point is, is that the reason why is we were looking at what does this guy want? How do they, how do we get him fast? How do we do this? How do we do that? So that experience with the LG hospitality team, Bob Lynn, Craig DeMarco and them, that's really what opened my eyes to be like, I'm going to shift into that. So, so, so. We haven't even started talking about your first restaurant yet. Um, I just want to make sure we're almost an, at an hour of recording time. I'll go a little bit longer than usual, which is about an hour and a half. But I want to make sure. Do you have a hard stop? At, we no, should, no. I'm okay. Good. So at what point did you know? I mean, go, getting coming back to Phoenix, you recognized that you had the, the, the skills in the kitchen. But you saw a lot to learn when it comes to running a business. Six years with this restaurant group, with Bob mentoring you, teaching you, you sticking close to him as possible. When did you say to yourself, I got it. I, I got what it takes. I'm going for it. Um, what happened was, um, so my brother, my older brother, Dave Chamberlain, um, he is kind of an investor, real estate. He owns a property management company. So Legrand Orange Grocery started building restaurants around it. So they kind of have a cluster of restaurants. And so my brother would fly people into town and try to raise money and then bring him to Legrand Orange Grocery or Chelsea's Kitchen or the other six restaurants we had opened at the time. And I would show both them around, and that was, and then he would take them to the airport. And on the way to the airport, he would try to get money. That, okay. that was his strategy. Yeah. So he he kept taking them to the airport, and he, and they kept talking about me. 
And so, and and so one day he comes to me. He's like, dude, I can't. Every time I go, I bring these people. They're like, dude, we need to get your brother a restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> so he came to me and he said, hey, I, I I I think I could probably raise some money from these guys to open a restaurant. Okay. And so at that point, I just decided I was, and and I'd been six years going to the same corner every day. I mean, like I worked on my face off. So I went to Bob. I said, listen, I need, I'm going to do something different. This is on a Thursday. On Saturday was my last day. And we, when we still today, we, we, have, we don't have a, we like, we're not buddy-buddy, but we, I could call me, pick up the phone, we can talk. Um, and so um, uh, I left, and, and then it took me two years to find a location. Wait, so you, had all, you left, um, you, you had all these potential uh, I had investors. I had investors. What ha- so you had the investors, but you didn't have the location. I was super picky. Well, that's, I mean, I think that's a really important lesson. I think sometimes we get so fucking hungry. You know, we just want it now. We want to start now. Like the first thing that comes across now, now. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like there's so many things, so many variables to consider. I, I, so my, the, so we, we, we eventually kind of got a group of partners together to, uh, to find a restaurant and they would bust my chops. They would call me and be like, "Hey, want to come into town to eat at my restaurant?" But I don't. You don't have one. <laughs> yeah. So, so I told him. I said, "I want even every parking lot to line up properly." Yeah. So it was very important to me to to do this. So, um, um, and so I was just trying to get something. The, you know, I'd look at buildings, and this is my strength. My strength is finding a building, conceptualizing it, seeing what it's going to be, the bigger vision, all of that. What elements does a building need? Like the top five elements. Oh, well, in Arizona, you need parking. One. Um, I wanted historic. I mean, we're in Arizona. It's like the oldest thing is like 1947. Yeah. So for me, finding something that was older, was I wanted something that was urban and like had a super cool vibe. I wanted something when you walked into, you were like, fuck, I could be in San Francisco. Yeah. So I mean, people underestimate the way a place makes them feel. Is when I'm, I'm sad. I mean, I'm so St. Francis, my first restaurant, it had two stories. No one had two stories. Mm. You know, this we're in a very flat space and in Phoenix. And it was, in, it was in an old red brick building that had architecture relevance. The ar- there was an architect who designed it originally. And, you know, what I saw a lot of people doing is they would cop out and just go into a fucking strip mall. And I'm okay. like, I am not doing that, dude. Like, there's no way I'm doing that. So the big thing is parking huge. Uh, his- it has to be tied to a historic did I want another cool building? Um, and the, the last thing there was um, the feel, the the, the yeah. actual feel of the building. Yep. What, what, are you, what are you looking for? What 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 characteristics of a building usually give that feeling that you're going for? Um, you know, and then a lot of it is like exposure. Where is it on the street? How do you see it when you pull in parking? When you accessibility? Yeah, all of that. Yeah. You know, and 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 also kind of a backup a little bit. So Beast Ram, when I worked for Michelle Richard, it eventually failed, and why it failed is we were literally. 20 yards away from the most popular corner in the city. Okay. But it was 20 yards off the beaten path. No foot traffic. No foot traffic. We literally could stand in the kitchen and we would see the foot traffic, but they couldn't see us. Mm. And so I knew that all those little details mattered. Yep. And so that was that's what was important to me. And, and I also like, for example, when I opened St. Francis, I went, I took a map and the cor- on the it was on the corner of Camelback and Central, which okay. is really the center of the whole valley mm-hmm. and um, I knew I wanted to be on that corner and I, there was historic homes around me we were also in the down the economic downturn 
And I knew that people that lived in that area in historic homes, they were the creative class if we had one in Phoenix at the time. And also, they were more stable because they'd been in the home for a long time. It wasn't like they were out in some strip plaza and with a bunch of track homes in the outskirts of town. So those were things that I look at. And, you know, for example, the reason why I wanted to go there is there was a grocery store there right by it called AJ's. And one day I stood in line for 25 minutes to get an iced tea. And I'm like, dude, these people are starving for this shit. Yeah. So those were the indicators that feel the coffee shop around the corner that you'd have a line every day. I'm like, these people want this. And yes. th- that was my strength. This still is to my day. Like finding that. I don't that. know if you can teach that. I think that's kind of, with the word that comes to my mind, I think when we think of the word empathy, we think of empathy one-on-one. Like, yeah. can I feel what this person wants or needs? But that empathy exceeds or extends beyond the one-on-one relationship and you can empathize with the market you can empathize with a community right like you can listen to the collective and put yourself in their position and serve the market not just the one person right well you know when i lived in new york city and i had no money and i would have a day off i would literally go to abandoned buildings and and imagine what i would turn that into and so this was an exercise that fueled me so it was my strength. It was what I knew. This building we're in currently right now, it took me nine years to get. Nine years. Uh, but you years. knew you wanted it. I walked in here. The, uh, the, I met the gentleman who owned the building. He gave me the, his address, his, his card. I had a broker find all his buildings. I drove here at one o'clock in the morning after my shift. I looked in the window. I saw this bow trust ceiling. And yeah. I said, I am fucking opening a restaurant here. <laughs> well, I think there's something really important about that. Don't wait until the building comes on market. Find it. You know, search always, always be hiring, always be searching for your next location, and then let it be known that you want it. And when it becomes available, guess whose card? The, the, people want a, the path of least resistance. If something becomes available, they're going to go to those who approach them first, right? Yeah. So I've opened five restaurants, and none of them were ever restaurants, and none of them came to me. I found the building and went to them. Nice. So I mean that that has been a little bit of my model. Anyone who comes to me and tells me about their master plan project and how I'm going to fit in, go fuck off. <laughs> so what are you doing when you? approach somebody how, how do you approach them in a way that they want to do business with you um you know i mean they, this goes back into another strength i mean i'm very persuasive so i, I i'm relentless i'm persuasive i mean my landlord that i have currently right now that owns this building so for nine years i went to him i said i want to do this i want to build a restaurant here and he basically tells me you don't have a tr- enough of a track record so i'm like okay i went up the street i opened in st francis up the road and he would come there and dine yeah. and I would take care of him and I would every time he would come I would talk to him and I would call him every other month and be like what's going on in the building what's going on what's going on I would keep him going keep him going for nine years and then all of a sudden one day I remember the day specifically I was on vacation in San Francisco and I get a phone call and he tells me opportunities knocking I'm closing down that place and if you want it come and get it nice and that's this place that we're sitting this right place. now I actually flew back that night I came here the next morning and I wrote him a check for ten grand, and I didn't even have ten grand in my bank account. <laughs> and I scrambled all weekend to get enough money so the check would clear. But you knew you had—I mean, you, you had this market with your between your brother and all these other investors. Like you knew you could get it. You know, it's so interesting. It's like, ironically, like finding money money to build a restaurant has been the easiest part. Like, well, I mean, that's what happens when you have a reputation in a network yeah. of people. Like. And I think that's one of the things that clearly contributes to your success is that you have this network. And I think a lot of times, you know, pe- 
the pieces of the puzzle just fall just right and you kind of just push them together but other times you got to put it out into the universe you got to you know you, you didn't know that these people that you were whining and dining when your brother was bringing you to the restaurant were going to be your future investors but you yeah. got to treat every guest yeah. like they are your future investor because nine times out of ten that's usually where they come from yeah. they have some kind of people don't invest in buildings they invest in people yeah. they, they, they don't invest well, oh, in concepts they invest I, in relationships I always tell people people bet on the jockey not the horse mm. People come to me. Oh, I got this business plan. Dude, fuck your business plan. Yep. Can you do it? Yep. Can you do it? And can you get kicked in the teeth and do it? Yeah. You know, can you can you get blindsided and do it? Can you run almost right. out of money? You bring up a really important point. Um, t- you talked to us a lot about some su- success. We we hit a, one or two of your hiccups, like a Daniel Blood. Well, I always yeah. say his name wrong. Balud. Daniel Balud. Um, ten years as a restaurateur now, right? Yeah. Um, You've opened four locations? I've had five restaurants total. Five restaurants. I sold St. Francis. Okay. Um, and um, this is a long story why I sold it, but I did. Uh, I needed to. It was a smart thing to do. I made money there all the time, and I sold it made money. Okay. So it was a win. What are, let's keep going. And then I opened Phoenix Public Market. And then from here, I decided I was going to expand. I'm going to build a company. And so I opened three restaurants in less than six months, all different concepts. Three restaurants, less than six months. And I also opened a cannabis edible company. And a what? A cannabis edible company. So I own that. I still own that. Okay. But um, so I did four companies in less than six months. So knowing, and this is the question I love, knowing what you know now, reflecting back at this roller coaster of a ride you've been on any things that you would have done differently any lessons learned the hard way yeah totally so one of the things that happened was i did all this and then i woke up one day and nothing was working what do you mean like nothing was making money okay why um you know because i was spread thin um i was going too fast um i had to backtrack everything went over budget i mean there was all kinds of complications and problems that i did not realize so what was the root cause of this well, you know, um, you know, part of it was the partnership. You know, um, my partner was my brother. He's older. He's dominant. Um, there was all kinds of factors that were a problem with that. He's not in the industry, but because is this he's, the same brother that helped you connect with all these yeah, investors. Yeah, okay. yeah. But we're not part. So, so eventually, what happened was is that I just realized, and I had been feeling like this for five years out of the ten years we yep. worked together. It just wasn't working for me, and so I eventually just went to him and said, "I want to split," and I had a plan. The night before I met him, I crafted a plan and I said, what if you took two restaurants and what if I took two restaurants and we split and it took us 30 minutes and boom, that's it. Yeah. And how's the relationship now? Uh, not good. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> I mean, it will be. The good news is that we're both we're both big boys. Yeah. Um, we're both in business. We understand that shit happens. And yeah. probably in two years, we'll have Christmas together. will be no big deal. So do you feel like maybe you were getting pressure to expand faster than you were able? Well, definitely. So he wanted to do all this, and I didn't. Okay. So that was one of the things. We had an opportunity to buy real estate and all that stuff. I did not want to go that fast, and I told him exactly what was going to happen. What was going to happen is we're going to grow super fast. It was going to cost us more money because we didn't have enough systems. We're going to have to hire a bunch of talent. And when we did all that, it did, and everything went over budget, yeah. and, and then he blamed me for everything. I'm going to say two things, and you can agree with me or disagree with me, but this is kind of what I've uh, come to accept as an answer for when you know it's time to grow. Right? Mm-hmm. I always say two things determine growth. It's people and cash flow. Sounds like you guys had the cash flow. Because you had your brother with his relationships in your own relationships. Well, we also had businesses that were doing well. Yeah, but did you have the people? Is that kind of? Do you think that might have been? No, we had the people. We had the talent. I mean, what happened was is I mean, if in those two categories, what happened was we had the talent, we had the cash flow, but we ran out of cash. 
Okay. So we're in the thick of opening our last restaurant, and we're, we're where was the cash going? Um, building restaurants. Okay. You know what I mean? Design construction, and not to mention people. I think people forget how expensive we, it is to, to hire. We we went we went over budget. Between the three restaurants combined, we went over budget about $1.5 million. Wow. And we were mostly self-funding this. Okay. So, you know, we're like Panar, like, you know, and and so, so so you know, it got to a point where I realized, like, okay, this is like, this is not going well. And um, and and so that was in the point where I was like, When you know, did you know it's not going well? Like, what was the cue that, like, how did you know that it was headed? When I personally was running out of money. And, you know, he was in a different situation. He has multiple companies. He has all kinds of income. And multiple channels of revenue. This is yeah. your, this is your and cash this is Yeah, this was my, and so once all of a sudden I got to the point where I'm like, I'm spending all my money. I'm spending all my savings. My wife's looking at me. I have two young kids. My wife was pregnant at the time. You know, I'm like going, um, you know, okay, wait a second. This and 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 I'm and I'm seeing, and you know, he ran the construction part, and that's where we are going over. Yeah. And you know, it just it just it just became a place where I was just like I wasn't happy. I didn't want to go do the restaurants that he wanted to go do, even though I was out there. I would have stayed put and been a little bit more methodical, like yeah. I am right now. And but you know, I also had an ego. I had I, I to be honest, there was a time period where I had a kind of a, a, a stockpiled some money. And I was like, you know, um, I'm a, let's let's go let's go build. I kind of thought that I like, you know, you, we're, you cracked the code. Well, you know, I just I just thought that this is what you do. Let's push. Let's go. Let's build this. Let's get this to a fifty million dollar company. So knowing what you know now, yeah, um, experiencing what you've experienced, if you could go back, do it all over again, what would you have done differently? I would not have expanded so fast. I would have not gone out to the East Valley. That's what it's called, where we had opened our other yep. restaurants. And to be quite honest with you, like I, 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 I'm, I'm more interested in, I, you know, this is kind of how we could, I'm, I'm interested. I want to build a media company. I want to go more into media and I want to do less of restaurants. And here's the reason why is I think the restaurant industry in as a whole is in trouble. I think that in my 33 years of being in the business, I'm seeing things right now that are scaring me. And, you know, when I read an article and uh, Grub Magazine and I'm in New York City and they're talking about their problems and I literally could have written the article. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and so there's a handful of things that are happening. Culinary schools are collapsing. People are not interested in getting in this profession anymore. It's not sexy to be a restaurant person I as much. We've kind of, we've almost, I don't know if the bottom is falling out or, the, or, or, or if we've hit the ceiling. You know, like, yeah. there's the. I mean, there's so many things you could point to as to why we're in the situation where retail is going away. Now, the only thing that works in retail space is restaurants. Yeah. So just entertainment. Like, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, there's just so much. Like, the communities can only handle so many restaurants. Totally. And the, the people say, well, the hiring pool is shrinking. Well, the pool, the, the size of the pool stay the same. There's just more people pulling from the water. 100%. You know? so, so, you know, and I'll give back to St. Francis, my restaurant, why I sold it. In four years, 33 restaurants opened around me in a three-mile radius. Wow. So my sales went whoop, whoop. Yeah. And, 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 and so, um, you know, food cost rises 7% every year on average. Um, and the new labor laws are making my labor costs go up and up and up and up. And so the margins are just getting tighter. And, you know, and so unless you have, you know, that doesn't, I have some friends that are doing very well in the restaurant industry. So I'm not saying you cannot, and I've done very well in the restaurant industry. But I will tell you that I look. I'm 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 very skeptical at the moment, and so um, I have two little boys right now. Um, my wife's pregnant with my third, 
and um, I I want to build a media company around a brand called Chef Dad, and okay. I want to inspire parents to connect with their kids through food, and I want to get more involved in that than um, opening a bunch of new restaurants, which I actually just earlier today, someone approached me about doing another restaurant, so the opportunities are there. But to build the infrastructure, to do, you know, like even there's a, there's a restaurateur here. His name's Sam Fox. Um, he's probably the biggest Fox restaurant. Concepts Fox Concepts. Well he just known. sold his company for 370-something million. Cheesecake Factory. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'll tell you right now, he's an awesome guy. He's helped me tremendously. I like, I think he's, he's, he's an awesome dude. Um, but to do what he did now... You need so much capital. The risk is so staggering. And the market's way more challenging and competitive. Oh, okay. And I mean, you don't have the people, the same abundance of people, right? Yeah. And you're going up against how many more people in a, in a given market? Like, So the banks and developers are kind of fucking it up. The banks have money, so they're giving it out. And the developers are building stuff. So yeah. one of my restaurants around the corner, Taco Cello, they're building a building behind it. They have no tenant. They don't know what they're doing. They're just building a big space because they have to because the bank's what making them using money. Yeah. yeah, like the thing is we're – and I think we need to reckon – and that's one of the reasons – something that we are such a fucking reactive industry. We react. We react. We yeah. react to the market. We react to what's – you know, the economy. We're constantly reacting. And I think we need to get to a point where we're just like, all right, enough react. Enough. Yeah. But we know what's going on. Let's communicate and let's collectively start making decisions as an industry to say, like, we're not moving in a good direction right now. Like, let's start being proactive instead of reactive and start sharing knowledge, start sharing instead of competing against one. You know, you, yeah. you picking up one I'm putting down. Totally. What do you feel so, about that? So, so right now I'm working with a guy and creating a, another brand that we're that he, he's spearheading, but it's called Healthy Hospitality. Like, we're in a very unhealthy industry. Yeah. And so we're working on how do we make it healthier? Like my chef right now, I'm like, dude, how do you work a similar schedule every week? So you don't have to fucking close at midnight or one and come back here at five in the morning. Like that's unhealthy. You're only yeah. getting three hours sleep. And so, you know, there, that's interesting to me. Um, you know, and then also how do you make restaurants healthier? As far as food? Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah. I mean, I look at that as well. I mean, so our costs are, rise, our costs are rising. You know, a lady came to me the other day and she says, I'm dropping off this fryer oil. It lasts for two months. I'm like, fuck you, dude. If it's lasting for two months, it means it's basically pure chemicals. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, yeah. like, and so, like, and then I look at other people and we have health problems and I have little kids and I feed them this and canola oil, all this stuff. I'm still trying to figure out what the hell this friggin', um, uh, incredible burger is going to do in five years. Have you had this thing yet? I have had it. Um, you know, but I mean, what's interesting is, is that I think they're doing a good thing. And what's interesting is like the fast food chains are grabbing onto it mm-hmm. and you know, these kind of things. And, and so, you know, I have mixed feelings about some of this stuff. Is it something I'm going to eat on a regular basis? No, but is it going to help? Yeah. I mean, what is it a byproduct of? How do you create this thing? Do you the, know? The incredible. Oh yeah. I've looked at, I've looked it all up. I mean, it's basically like rice flour and stuff like that. Okay, so there, there isn't like any like chemical, <laughs> no, I feel no. like everybody's gonna have cancer in like five years. No, no, the, the, that it's, it's is too good to be true. It, it is actually like like the real deal. Okay, like, interesting. Yeah, their 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 stuff. I've looked. I actually looked up the ingredients, and I was like shocked. Like, okay, this is pretty good. Yeah, I was waiting for like some kind of crazy like you know like, no, like liquid smokers. They want to like make that. an impact. Yeah, they want to make an impact. Cool. Uh, I can't think of anything else. I mean, we we had a really great conversation. You, you shared some great knowledge. Um, 
anything we have not discussed up to this point? Anything that you feel like you could drop on us to leave myself and my listeners better before we move to the speed round? You know, I will tell you just my kind of what comes to mind right now. You know, I love that we're in the people businesses in, in the restaurant. If you're in the restaurant industry, you're in the people business. So what I tell young people, you better learn how to deal with people. You better learn how to work with them, guide them, lead them. Like I see so many talented chefs come through that do not have the skill, even though they're talented on the line and they're not going to get anywhere and they miss out because leadership, team building, people skills, marketing. Like I can't tell you how many culinary people are like, I don't like marketing. Dude, if you can't market yourself, you not, the best chefs in the world are marketers. Yeah. And so I think that, um, you know, I love this industry. I love feeding people. I love people. I love my staff. And, you know, um, uh, you know, I'm curious to see what happens in the future. Another ironic thing is, like, I open all these restaurants. I've been involved in all these. And I op- one of my chefs who's worked for me for 10 years, he wanted to open a taco place. So we opened Taco Cello together. It's 1,000 square feet. It has 14 employees. And it's the most profitable well, restaurant we I've ever had. We haven't talked about chocolate. Yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, all these yeah. things. So it's, I wasn't sure if that was one of the restaurants that you... No, I own a sale. So, okay. I mean, so in funny, because Taco Cello is my favorite restaurant of everything I've ever done. Nice. So do you want to... I'll go longer if you want to talk about Taco Cello and how ta- this opportunity came ta- about. Taco Cello. Um, I have a chef who's immensely talented. He's worked for me for a long time. He's telling me he wants to do this taco shop, this and that. See, and this this right here, this this series of events that you're sharing with us, I think is the way it should be, right? Like, what, you, the best restaurant tour out there this is exactly what they do they hire somebody they have talent they spend their you know life not their life but you know, 10 solid years right yeah six years mentoring developing like in, like sharing everything that you have and transferring it to this person right yep. they're gonna go off and do their own thing oh yeah. you have the means you have you know why not make them a partner why not bring them in on it why yeah. not and that's how the best restaurant groups grow that you have somebody that you've given the core values you've given the systems the processes they already have everything why not be the means to make it happen for them why not make their dream come true right yeah so interesting enough there's a um, you know uh, there's a local artist here well he's not no, he's from Mexico his name is Gennaro Garcia he's a very dear friend of mine okay. and Suni is my cook and me and Suni Gennaro through a bunch of mishaps end up going to California together and we're doing we're, 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 we're like doing this taco tasting thing so on the drive home I dawned on me I'm like dude why don't we open a restaurant dude Jannar why don't you design the restaurant so he's an cool. artist nice why don't you design the restaurant Suni you put together the menu his family's from Monterey his strong Mexican heritage he knows a lot about the cuisine and I'll just pay for it so um, they thought I was joking and one year to the day one year, one day after we opened Taco Cello. So I came back and went to work. I found the location, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? How are we going to build the kitchen? Yeah. And so we, we, we did Taco Cello. We opened up. It's been a huge hit. Yep. The branding, the place is beautiful. It's not about creating opportunities for yourself. It's about creating opportunities for other people. And in doing so, yeah, you end up creating opportunities for yourself. You know, like it comes back around. Definitely. Um, I love that. Uh, anything you learned that was a surprise about this new this chocolate, uh, taco cello. Yeah, um, so the simple model. So it's uh, you go up, order taco, sit down, and um, and and it's the most profitable restaurant yeah. I've ever. Done. Actually, I'm so happy you said that. Um, it was something I was hoping we were going to talk about today. Even we're sitting in um, Mark Public Phoenix Public Market Cafe again. 
with the counter service. Yeah. Was it, has it been counter service since day one? Always. Were you projecting, did you kind of have the idea well, that the, yeah. the market was going to be difficult to hire and you're trying to make it as streamlined as possible? Like, what was the thought process there? Well, the thought process is, at the time I owned St. Francis, and St. Francis was a higher-end elevated restaurant. We had a higher check average. We sold bottles of wine on it. Yeah, full service. It was fancy. We had Bernadeau plateware. And... So my thought was I was going to open a fine dining, like a higher-end restaurant, and then I was going to have this little simple cafe that kind of fed the community. Gotcha. And that, I, mean, I think it's important to point out that it's literally right next to the Phoenix public market. market. Yeah. And I was curious if there was a correlation there. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, essentially when I got... So the Phoenix public market came in here and opened up the urban grocery. So this was like a grocery store. And I watch it once again, persistence. So the landlord tells me no. He gives it to them. I'm watching them. They used to do a, a, a chef series cooking class. And I used to do it purely because I wanted to get in and see what they were doing. I realized quickly they didn't know what the fuck they were doing. It was a nonprofit. So it was only time. Yeah. And I, that until I got the space. And so... When I got the space, I have this farmer's market that everyone knows yep. called the Phoenix Public Market downtown. You know, I didn't particularly love the name. And I was actually going to rebrand this and rename this and name it something different. And then one day, I'm walking down the street and someone's wearing a Phoenix Public Market t-shirt. And I'm like, why am I going to rebrand it? Yeah. Everyone knows that exactly. this is the corner. So yep. that's what I just decided. Let's just call it the cafe, the Phoenix Public Market. And I mean, it's for the people, right? And the people already love their market. So I feel like if you name it after what the people already love, they're going to have a sense of identity and uh, a connectivity to that. On, on Saturday mornings, market opens at 8. From 7 in the morning until 3, we do about 1,000 customers. Damn. Yeah. That's awesome. So, I mean, the I'm coming back. Packed. I'm here for a week. I'm going to come check it oh, out. Oh, cool. Can't wait. Um, so, I think the original conversation was around the counter service and how yeah. that served you. Yeah. So, I mean, I wanted to do counter service. Legra- this is kind of my version of Legrand Ranch Grocery. When I was at La Grande Ranch Grocery, it was the funnest place I ever worked. And, all, and I realized I worked in all these stuff. What made it fun? Well, first of all, like you, the way it is, like you're interacting with the customers as the cooks. Yeah. You know, open kitchen. Um, you know, we'd get to know the yeah. customers. They would come every day. You know what's beautiful about that? That brings us full loop to how we started this conversation. That you got to make, was it pasta for your cheerleader friends? Yeah. yeah. And it was the, the ability of food, food's ability to bring people together. And yep. what's, what's, why bring people together if you can't be a part of the party? 100%. You know what I mean? Like, what's the point of being closed off from that? Like, you know, I'll tell you right now. So I'm working at fine dining. I'm having like panic attacks because I'm getting yelled at and, you know, the Cornell wasn't right and all this bullshit. And then I come to Grand Ranch Grocery and, uh, and I'm like dating the customers. Mm. You know what I mean? And they're like, you know, and I'm like, it's casual and it's fun and we're slinging stuff and the music's loud and the vibe's totally cool and so that was when I was like man I want a place like this that's community this is community and we would feed tons of people and people would come to us and love yeah. us and you know and, 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 and still to this day I still like all, a lot of my connections I built there because it's in a really pristine location okay but you know that was Phoenix Public Market Cafe was kind of my version of that. I was like, you know, what? I'm going to do a place that's down by the college, that farmers market, and we get fresh product in, and we make simple food. Yeah. And you know, it's like I'm driving home from work. Do I want to go home and make food, or do I just want to swing by and get some stuff at the cafe? Like that was kind of the yeah, idea. I love it. Two questions before we go to the speed round that yeah. I'm drop on you. You kind of learned the hard way 
what happens when you go pedal to the metal and try to expand real fast. Yep. Now that you've removed yourself from that situation, you have two restaurants to focus on now, right? Yep. What's the plan for the future? How do you plan on what's the next attempt going to look like? I mean, you mentioned that you're going to do the media, yep. right? But yep. I mean, are, are you going to... Can, can I tell you right now, is that my goal is, is that I hope that in the next year, I'm writing books um, um, based around Chef Dad. I am, um, and I am spending more and more time, full capacity in that. And my the Taco Cello, I don't even run. I mean, they have it over there. And here, right now, most of my staff's been here for a long time, and so I could really bow out and have a much, you know. And and I want to do more of that. I want to get into. I want to write books. I want to do YouTube videos. I got really cute kids. Um, I, <laughs> Leverage that, you know. And so, and and I'll, and I'll tell you right now, this kind of goes back into adding value. Like, I see people and they're lost. I see what they're feeding their kids. I see that they can't connect. I see kids becoming picky eaters. I watch parents come into my restaurants for restaurants for years and they they order a beautiful plate of food and then they pull out a fucking bag of Cheerios for their kids. Ugh. You know, and not that that's a bad thing, but it's not a good thing. And so, though I know that I can inspire, and I will tell you right now, in my small social media group that I have, um, whenever I do anything about my children, I get the most impact. I mean, yeah. I'll tell you right now, I, I do stories. I feed my kids every day. I take care of all their food. I'm in charge of that. I connect with them a lot. We, we prep together. They come to the farmer's market. My five-year-old son works in the restaurant every Saturday. And when people see that, they're like, wow. Yeah, it's and real, you know? And I think that's what the, it's so fucked up. Part of my language, I mean, we've been cursing this entire time, but it's so effed up to think that when you see what when you see people being human and doing human things like feeding your children and yeah. being being present that is like oh it's ama- it's like that's what it should be and we've gotten yeah. so far away because we're so just focused on these things that just don't bring joy to our lives you know and it's just why what's it for so chef dad is going to be my future i love it that is what i'm doing so the last question i have for you and this is a question i'm asking all my guests the yeah. mission statement of restaurant unstoppable is to inspire empower and transform the industry and the way we do that is by making an example of people like yourself who've, who are doing who have done it right who have lived and have a lot to share right that we're giving the industry an aiming point so how have you transformed who who are you today? Who's the man you are today versus the man you were getting started in this industry? Repeat it again. How have you transformed? Basically, is the question. Who are you today versus the man you were when you got started in this industry? Um, you know, I mean, I'll tell you right now. I mean, this is <clears throat> it's a great question. Um, I got, and this kind of goes back into you know what happens to a lot of people. Um, I got into this because I was talented cook, and I learned how to cook, and I love cooking, and I still today I love to cook. But when you have 380 employees, you don't get a cook. No. And so, you know, how I've transformed is I've had to learn how to become a business person, which I naturally am not. I I call myself, I'm I'm an artist with entrepreneurial tendencies. Yeah. You know, or an entrepreneur spirit. Um, And so, you know, in hindsight, looking back, I've changed the most because I've transformed from an artist into a business person. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and, and to be quite honest with you, it's hard. And I yeah. see a lot of people struggle with this. What's the hardest part about that transformation for you? 
Because I'll tell you the hardest part. I spend 99.9% of the time doing things that I'm not even good at. Yeah. And what I'm good at, I'm not doing because I have to do the other 99% yeah, I can of totally relate to that. <laughs> I literally just published an episode uh, like two months ago about how I was trying to expand Restaurant Unstoppable and add courses and do all this other stuff. And it pulled me away from what I love to do, which is sit down across from somebody who's impressive and to just connect with them, to learn from them, to just share their story and to make an example. I got away from the work. Yeah. You know, and it's like this, what I love to do is to, to find these people and make an example of them. Like I don't want to and all the other stuff right mm-hmm. pulls you away from that so yeah. and, then, and then i think that's why partnerships are so important because the stuff that you hate is the stuff that lights somebody else up is that that's somebody else's jam right so, and you need those partnerships and we're meant to be tribal we're meant to exist with different people that have different attributes and skills and yeah. that's when we flourish the best another thing on that note on the what have i changed you know and i see a lot of people get stuck on this i've learned to evolve like you got to move you got to you can't like I see some chefs, I still see this, and it kind of bugs me. And like I, 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 you know, in this industry, there's not a lot of education out there. No, that's why. I, that's why this is here. Yeah, because I couldn't I mean? find it. Yeah, it, there's not a lot. So there's no one telling you, oh, you know. When you open your restaurant, it's got to fucking evolve. Yeah. And it's got to change. But every five years, you should refresh and, it's like the, and you should budget for that. You should have yeah. a refreshing budget, like yeah. an evolution budget, whatever you want to call it. Five years, what can I tweak? How can I stay fresh? How can I stay top of mind? Right? Yeah. So, so, you know, moving and shifting and constantly changing and like, you know, and you go up and you down, you get good, you get bad. You know, for me, I'm always, I always have this thing. I'm always failing. And then I look back, like I look back at some of the things. I'm like, man, we're really doing a great job. Failing looks really good right yeah. now compared to what failing looked like ten years ago. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, you know, those are some of the things. But that's really how I've evolved. And and I think um, it's a byproduct of when you're lo- always looking at the best. And this is something that you do, obviously, because yeah. you've always sought out the best and go to work for the best. You're comparing yourself to the best. Yeah. And when you compare yourself to the best, if, even if you feel like you aren't c- comparable you're still better than 99.9% of everybody else because yeah. you're not focusing on them. You're focusing on you and the best mm-hmm. and you rise to that level. Yep. Yep. It's, it's uh, it, it's fun though. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Speed round. We got to take one more quick break. We'll be back for the speed round. You've been great so far. I cannot wait for it. If you're sick of paying multiple vendors and services to outfit your restaurant needs only to deal with the frustrations of technology that's clunky and void of that seamless experience that you so need, then you've got to check out Restaurant 365, a cloud-based restaurant-specific accounting and back-office platform that seamlessly integrates with your POS system, payroll provider, food and beverage vendors, and banks. With Restaurant 365, you'll have real-time reporting and analysis to make the best and most data-driven decisions. No more guessing. Other features include detailed daily and labor data from your POS system, accounts payable automation, automated bank reconciliation, incorporated inventory management with guidance on reducing your food costs, and scheduling features to reduce labor costs and engage your employees, all saving you time, money, and headaches. Take action today and find out how Restaurant 365 is saving restaurant owners up to 5% on Prime costs. That's awesome. Head over to restaurant365.com slash unstoppable and qualify for 30% off implementation and get a free inventory build within the system, a value of 5K. We're back, and the first question I have for you is, what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Persistence. What is your biggest weakness? Systems. What's one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process when you're building your team? Intellectually curious. 
share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a, a way to be, a way to act, a core value. Win the fucking day. <laughs> nice. Uh, what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? This is something that is common within the four walls of your businesses, not common th- throughout the industry. Every day, light someone up. I love it. And I was just thinking, like you mentioned it earlier, like it's about human connections, right? Yeah. Like you're a part of it. Like you're not you're not separated away from it. It's, it's like an actual community. It's fun. Yeah. Right? You know, one of the things I talk about myself a lot and even with my wife, like my goal is to light my wife up every day to go above and beyond. And so that's one thing I constantly teach them. Look for some, look for a way to light someone up. Even if it's a homeless person coming in and trying to use a restaurant and giving them a bottle of water. Nice. I love it. And I actually skipped one question by accident. We're making good time right now. What is your biggest challenge right now? How are you overcoming it? Biggest challenge right now is going through a lot for three years in a row. You know, working when you work for three three years and you work hard, and then you go through a lot, which would be kind of considered some turmoil or tragedy, and then being able to recover and get back in the game. Um, that's 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 my biggest challenge right now. Is like, what do I want to do? What you know? Redef- I want redefine <clears throat> yourself. I want to do chef dad, but I know restaurants. Yeah. I got you. Uh, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? You know, um, I will tell you for me, um, uh, La Tante Claire is a book by Pierre uh, uh, Kaufman in London. And that book, um, it just is probably one of my favorite books. Biggest lesson from that book. Um, you know, I just love the story that he told about his career. And I look back at my career and I just, you know, the, the just the being a young chef and, and learning and working in great restaurants and I just love the story to be honest. I love it. Um, name, sorry, one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough. Spend time with their team. I love it. Name one service you've hired. So this is like a person that's behind the service, whether it's a marketer or a designer or consultant of any sort who has a thing that they do really well that you've outsourced. What is one product or, or service that you've outsourced and recommend that service to other listeners? Design. Who is the designer? Alex Leipart. Uh, like, you know, they're, they're, his new company is called Brand Loyal. Okay. And that was Alex Leipart. All right. We'll link to that in the show notes. What is one technology you've adopted within your four walls that's had a huge impact on operations? Social media. What's your favorite platform? Instagram. What's one thing that you do on Instagram that works really well for you? Every Sunday night, I anyone who's tagged any of my restaurants, I go on and I personally thank them from my own personal Instagram. I love it. And this is the last question. It's a doozy. Are you ready for it? You got it. <laughs> okay. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy, or those three pieces of wisdom be? Uh, dedication, drive, discipline. Dedication, drive, drive. discipline. I've loved it, man. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much. Uh, We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. Who is someone you respect and admire and believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today? You know, I got to tell you, the first person that comes to my mind is uh, there's a chef here. His name's Doug Robson. He owns two Mexican restaurants. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons why I recommend him is, is that he grew up in Mexico City. His mother's Vietnamese. 
and uh, you know, and he cooks really good food. And you know, he's a dynamic person, and I think that he would be a, an awesome guest. All right, look, that was Doug. Doug Robson. Doug, look out! I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show and let the folks at home know how can we connect with you if we want to maybe come join your team or maybe um, uh, any other reason. ChefAaronChamberlain.com. Email me. Instagram. Aaron underscore Chamberlain. Um, all the platforms I'm on. And this is episode 680. So head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 680. I'll be sure to summarize today's conversation to link to any tools or services or books recommended and how to connect with Chef Aaron over there. And again, episode 100, sorry, 680. Aaron, thank you again for taking the time to you share bet. your story, your knowledge, your mentorship. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. <laughs> thank Cheers. you. Cheers. Yeah, there we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable in the archive. I hope you all found value in today's conversation. And I could not be more excited to announce that Restaurant Unstoppable is now on video. That's right. I'm not talking about a still cover photo with audio on YouTube. I'm not even talking about a pixelated Skype video with me and my guests in, you know, 3,000 miles apart. I'm talking in person in the restaurant HD video now available on YouTube. And I could not be more excited. And you're going to be like right there with us in the restaurant. You're going to get to see behind the scenes footage, hopefully. And, you know, we've recorded over 50 interviews to date. And I've been taking the restaurant unstoppable now for uh, almost two years. We've been on the road. And the natural evolution is to bring a camera and to, to let you guys see my guests, to let you guys see the restaurant, to let you see the real human connection that's happening there. And uh, I'm just so excited. If you guys want to. See these videos. Here's what you got to do. Head over to YouTube and search Restaurant Unstoppable uh, and then subscribe to future episodes. Or what you can do is head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash whatever episode number it is. And I'll be sure going forward to have a link to that video or to that episode's video on YouTube. And please subscribe. And please, please, please help me spread the word about what, what, what I'm doing here with these interviews. Uh, the the you know the finest the most successful restaurateurs sharing their knowledge sharing their values sharing their stories to transform the industry to to make us all better and to uh, just just to you know go in a, the right direction uh, I cannot be more excited so again head over to restaurantunstoppable.com whatever today's restaurant or whatever today's episode number is, or just shoot to uh, YouTube and search Restaurant Unstoppable and subscribe to the face-to-face interviews. And uh, also, guys, I got to remind you to please subscribe to my emails and to find me on social media. Eric at RestaurantUnstoppable.com is the email. Social media, Eric Cacciatore in uh, Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. Uh, cannot wait to connect. And I'm so, so, so excited for the future. This is going to be awesome. All right. Until next time, peace out.